I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Freedom is another word for facing all my lonely fear. Freedom is your final word for getting off the ledge with me. Will you ever share your secret world? Your dreams beyond the confines of our of my guest today on the program, Paula Cole. Let me tell you a little bit about Paula Cole. All right, so before we begin, I want to tell you that up until 1995, there was only one Cole in my life, and that was Lloyd Cole. (laughs) It's true. If I told you how many times I played the Easy Pieces and Rattlesnakes albums, you would think something was wrong with me, and you'd kind of be right. But one night in 1995, I went with my girlfriend. Yeah, I had a girlfriend at the time. Uh, I had uh, some sexual viability. Those were the old days. At any rate, I went with my girlfriend uh, to see Sarah McLaughlin, and the opener was Paula Cole. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about that performance. It was spellbindingly percussive. It was vocally arresting, and it was musically stunning. To quote the poet Ted Berrigan, it was feminine— marvelous, and tough. Now, that was a long time ago, but since that night, Paula Cole and I have both done rather well. She sold a few million copies of her albums, and she won a Grammy, and uh, I started this podcast, and I got a cat. So I think it's fair to say that our careers have mirrored each other almost identically, but let's focus on her career. Focusing on mine might get, uh, well, it might get depressing. Paula Cole. The Massachusetts-born musician grew up playing bass in a polka band and doing musical theater. From there, she went to the Berklee School of Music. She studied jazz and improv, and while still a student, was offered a record deal with a jazz label, which she promptly turned down. Just wasn't her thing. Then she was invited to be a part of Peter Gabriel's band for his 1993 Secret World Tour. That was her thing, and she crushed it, singing backup for Mr. Gabriel and handling the Kate Bush role in Don't Give Up. She signed to Imago, put out her debut album Harbinger, and the ball, as they say, was rolling right along. Then Imago folded, she signed to Warner Brothers, and her sophomore album made that ball pick up, (laughs) well, a rather insane amount of speed. That sophomore album was called This Fire, and it yielded hits with Where Have All the Cowboys Gone and I Don't Want to Wait, two rather evergreen numbers that all these years later feel like pop standards. Cole won a Grammy for Best New Artist, toured with Lilith Fair, and became known across the globe for her staggering live performances. Now, over the course of her career, Paula Cole has put out nine albums, and though it's hard to pick favorites, her new one, called Revolution, might very well be her best work yet. 
A stirring song cycle about defeating silence by speaking up and speaking out, but doing so with love and empathy. Revolution is a rousing and energizing effort that's filled with sonorous beauty, enchanting melodies, and unforgettable poetic dexterity. A member of the voice faculty at Berklee School of Music, a mom, a patron of the arts, a woman with a heart that beats loud and strong for all of the outsiders of the world, Paula Cole's voice is one that we need now more than ever. Yes, I love her, and you will too. Here's my chat with the unreasonably lovely Paula Cole. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. summer during the summer and I was I was horrified and I was blown away I remember I started trying to write write something after I I read The Handmaid's Tale it affected me so deeply that it made me want to be a writer for a summer (laughs) right that's when art is working where it it sort of inspires you to immediately try something on your end that's right Um, to do something to, to be active with it right like I remember I read um I read, I read Hemingway when I was in college. No, Raymond Carver. And I thought, I can do that. I couldn't do it, but I but it made me try. Wow. Yeah. Cool. I know. So I would recommend The Testaments that I, I think you have to uh, you have to read it. Gosh, there's so much reading I want to do. It's, isn't that such like an indulgent pleasure in a way? Like, <laughs> <laughs> to shut out the world and read. And yet it's so vital. I know. It makes me kind of reappreciate um the time that i'm traveling like a train ride or a plane ride that's what or you know just that little slice of time before bed when you can read i there's such gifts <laughs> i know and I, and I use them differently now i know i know and i wonder if you know it seems like there's so little time but when i was younger i was i was tearing through books and i was writing all the time and i didn't even have a job and and maybe, oh, maybe that's what it is. And our moms were doing our laundry. That's right? there. That's it. I think it's when your mom is doing your laundry, you can read a ton of books. I know. Because <laughs> I'm the one doing the laundry now, you know. That's right. <laughs> and I look at them and they, they just eat and then they make messes and then they go and be artistic and amazing. And then I'm jealous. <laughs> Are you are you pretty good at budgeting your time? Have you always been that way? I don't think so. I think I think I'm a procrastinator and I think I'm perfectionistic and they both get in my way. So it's forced me to be as good as I possibly can be, which then has made me less of the dreamer that I innately am. Like I really would love to just be the child of God that I innately am go wandering and dreaming and, and I can spend, you know, four hours in the garden uh, and then just wandering. I just love that. I love that really right brain frame of mind and it's highly intuitive and creative and my sleep schedule gets different. Like I remember at one point I committed myself to a sleep schedule that was um, uh, like I went to bed at 4 a.m. And midnight to 4 was really the most fertile and creative 
time for right. me. All consciousness was asleep. My antennae were tuned to the cosmos, man. <laughs> and I could just, I, I, I was recording my dreams. It was very fertile. So, yeah, I wish I could be that way. But unfortunately, I have to operate, you know, as, as we all do in the world. And I'm the mom. So uh, I, I chop myself up into these little budgeted time periods. And I don't like it, but I have to do it. I do it. I wouldn't say I'm good at it, though. Well, when when you segment it, like okay, now I'm going to, uh, I'm gonna create. I'll be creative right now because I only have this time period. Do you feel a weird kind of pressure becomes imposed on that time that wouldn't normally be there? Yeah, definitely, and that that's when you're implementing craft, and sometimes the craft um, calls in, like in all of your guides or what have you, it calls in the mystery and the lightning bolt happens. Sometimes it does happen. Um, and then sometimes it's the craft and, and that's good too. And I have both. I'm aware that sometimes they're more inspired than others. Um, I think it's beautiful if you can sit yourself down to a dedicated time daily, like the way uh, Patty Smith did before in the morning, cup of coffee and the writing. And then she produced just kids. I, I, um, I'm still aspiring to that. I, I'm not there yet. And with music, it can be different. Um, I like for the last album. I was really um, looking for inspired moments, and I would tease myself. I would like trick my brain to go about it differently. Uh, I read about Bob Dylan's, you know, his period in the '60s when he would sit at a typewriter and flow, just tap in the cosmos and flow on the typewriter. So. I thought, I'm going to go about songwriting differently. I'm just going to go about it from the lyrical perspective and let my fingers type fast and let it be random. So I, I did that more on Revolution, and I found that it really sped up the creative process for me, and it begat several new songs, which was fantastic. So if I, if I keep it fresh for myself like that, then it works, especially musically. I need to not go into the same ruts. So I'm trying on different things. Sometimes it's the melody first, you know, a la Burt Bacharach, in time to my footsteps on a walk. And sometimes it's journalistic. Or uh, I tried that keyboard approach like Bob Dylan. I'm just trying. Sometimes it's live in the room with a band. But that is, that's been my wheelhouse. I try to keep it diverse and fresh. But I'm, you know, I'm also really interested in writing that book finally one day. And I kind of have felt in my heart for many years, but that I think is going to require a different kind of daily practice like Patty Smith's. Right. <laughs> can well, I do it? I don't know. <laughs> I think you can do it. Um, you know, there's something about a typewriter too, which there's a rhythm and a percussive kind of uh, flow to it that seems like it would really, um, you know, insp inspire, not impose, but inspire a kind of uh, literary flow state. I I do think so. I, I love the typing. I mean, granted, it's always come quickly to me. I remember this is, you know, pre-digital, of course, but back in junior year of high school when they put us on typewriters and had us learn, you know, J, 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 L, right. L, L, L. And <clears throat> it just came so furiously fast for me that I was such a fast typist that they gave me an award at the end of the year. <laughs> and I, you know, perhaps I missed my calling as somebody's 
secretary. But anyway, I, I, <laughs> it came very quickly. I was very fast at it. Maybe it's the piano. So that I can be in another mind frame while the fingers are furiously flowing. So, yeah, love it. I love the rhythm of it. I, I love kind of hammering on it and hearing the percussive element of it. it it's, that's been joyful and flowing for me. That. So I do think, you know, I'm hopeful about the book. We'll see. Well, I think uh, that's an exciting project. I hope you do it. I think it'd be great. Um, mm. It's funny. You know, I think that you can't schedule improvisation. Um, and I'm sorry, inspiration, because obviously you can't say, like, I'm going to write at 4 a.m. and I'm going to be inspired because sometimes you're just tired. You, you can't do it. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. But do you still find that you are seized by something creative where you had no choice in the matter, like you're doing something else? And all of a sudden you have to stop and sort of, uh, you know, listen to what the creative universe is giving you. Yeah, if you're lucky, you can recognize that feeling and you can stop and you can honor it and go somewhere and manifest it. If you're lucky, you can do that. And if you're not, you're just kind of grumpily going about the task at hand. And sometimes you have no choice. You must be going about the task at hand, which sometimes is years Right. Sometimes the task at hand takes years, like raising a child. It's um, wow, like very. <laughs> it's a lot. It's just a lot. And and also I've been a stepmom, which is kind of a thankless, like no win situation, too. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I love them and they love me. And we all know that in good fun. But it's true. You know, it's just hard being in that role. And and it's hard. Uh, it was hard being like the sole breadwinner for my daughter and having to work and figure that out. Um, so sometimes like it just took years to endure tasks at hand, getting to creativity felt like almost selfish. And sometimes like the road, which is usually pretty damned hard, sometimes it was an escape from the drudgery. So it's uh, now things are, getting easier because the kids are growing up and that's great I'm, I'm like more prolific than ever I feel like this is an intense flowering for me right now so yeah you, you just have to be have like a honed intrapersonal intelligence so that you're recognizing that feeling that feeling that I need to leave this task at hand right now and honor something that's going on if you're lucky you can advocate for that and manifest it does it also make you more efficient as an artist oh i think the hardest no i don't think it i mean perhaps but i think to be the best artist you need to be the best human being. So that means honoring commitments outside of the art too. Uh, I think, and if, I mean, some people think you need to be miserable to write worth a damn, right? Like Charles Bukowski, but I, I don't think so. I think like personally what I've lived, yeah, it's easy. When I was young, my miserable moments would beget songs but then you realize you can't live there and it's not sustainable 
or some people would kind of self, some artists I know, like big artists I know that shall not be named, they would even self-sabotage mm. their lives just to get songs, which is fine, but then the songs really all are about the same stuff. You know, you haven't expanded. Have you really been able to write joyful songs in periods of happiness? And then what about your life? And then what about your longevity as a human being? Like, to me, you, the hardest thing of all is the balance it's the balance between your personal life and your artistic professional life. It's really hard. Yeah, because I love Bukowski, but I don't know if it's necessary for young writers to, you know, to feel they have to debase themselves in order to access the art. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think you need imagination. Perhaps if you haven't, if you're young and you haven't lived enough, you need imagination and empathy so you can see through others' eyes. Yeah, and and you and I are are the same age, and so you know I remember the the sullen high school years where I listened to the Smiths, um, and well. and nothing else. Uh, <laughs> but you're right; like you can't really live there. It, I think I think you have to evolve out of that because it doesn't feel like the healthiest place. Though the themes may remain the same. That's right. You could you could keep the same themes. That's right. But it's isn't it more holistic to try to explore new ones maybe they're awkward at first maybe you, you even lose some of your audience but i mean aren't our favorite musical artists especially ones that explored new territories and reincarnated themselves a little bit at different periods of their lives they might have lost audience but they sought change i mean like two heroes that right off the bat i think of are john lennon and Joni mitchell and I mean, he couldn't wait to jettison the Beatles to find his own therapeutic process, going through primal scream therapy and writing Plastic Ono Band and having really intense autobiographical work. And that was hard for a lot of people to hear. And what about the Beatles? But but he he reincarnated himself. He changed and grew. And and Joni Mitchell, I mean, she she made a jazz album writing lyrics to Charles Mingus's work she she went electric she lost fans she didn't get played on the radio for a while but in the long run she was really true to herself and she made it interesting for herself and there was joy in that process and individuation in that process so I I look to them as like heroes and guiding lights for me I mean for sure I've been cool and then I've been uncool and I've written things that seem to be on target in the moment and then things that really have not been. But I know I was true to myself, so I can die with that, you know? <laughs> well, I think that, that that always makes you cool then, Paula Cole. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. Um, you know, I mean, someone like Elvis Costello, I think is another good example of somebody who, um, you know, he could have made the same record 30 times, but he, he went all over the place. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's cool. I think that's cool to respond to that kind of impulse of maybe I'll make a, a country album. Maybe I'll make a uh, an album of uh, blues standards. Maybe I'll go with the, the, the Brodsky Quartet. Um, or, right? Um, yeah. So The Juliet Letters. The Juliet okay. Letters, which is, I mean, it's a difficult album, but it's certainly a brave album. Oh, it was so cool. Yeah, yeah it is cool. And then Exploring Bacharach, you know. Yeah. Which I, I did too. Totally loved that. Yeah. So are you, do you feel willing to 
um, to chase down things that maybe on paper don't seem the most practical. Oh, big time. Oh, yeah. Like, huge orchestra. And that's so impractical. (laughs) (laughs) It is. (laughs) And also, like, I just, since, I just love all genres of music. And people always want to put me in a box. I mean, Apple Music wants to put me in a white female box with other white females that are my age. I'm just so sick of it. Like, I really, my heroes are different colors and and genres and ages and genders. I, I And that's impractical. I, I realize, like, I don't fit anywhere. And I'm now, at, like, now that I'm 51, I'm really at peace with that. Finally, I, I don't fit anywhere. I'm not like anybody. I'm just me. And I'm I'm glad about that. Is it a kind of relief not to have to worry about fitting in anymore? It's sort of like, I'm just going to do the things I do and categorize me wherever you like. Yeah, for sure. And, the, you know, the, um, the the ice age that happened to the big labels, you know, that they felt like dinosaurs. And, um, and that's been helpful for someone like me who self-produced anyway, and I'm I've been more prolific since I've been independent and just letting go of the old brainwashed mentality of having people kind of talk to you about demographics and numbers. And I, I, it's so nice to just really follow my inner process and uh, be more true to that. I think that there is, you know, I, I teach college for a living and recently I've started feeling like, oh, I don't, I've become a very aware of my age in a way that I wasn't maybe five or six years ago. Um, and I'm okay with it. It feels a little bit different, but I, I'm okay with it. We're in very different industries, but we're both in industries that look at you like you're, you're always looked at. Um, and, you know, like I can tell my, my students look at me and think that guy's not very cool. Um, whereas, you know, maybe I, maybe I used to be, um, but how do you deal with that in terms of being in a performative industry where you're, you, know, you feel there are eyes on you as well as ears on you? Um, mm. How do you how do you deal with that? And or do you do you even think about that? Mm-hmm. That's a, a wonderful question, because it, sadly, the music business seems more and more oriented at being like a social media artist, a visual artist to be seen like someone who's hot and. Um, it's just on social media all the time, which is a very shallow thing. Right. right. I mean, that, that's not necessarily where the wellspring of creativity comes from. And my favorite artists certainly weren't coming from that place. Uh, yeah. It, sometimes I've been mad and annoyed and resentful at it. And sometimes I'm more accepting, but I like, I want, I want to be me. I don't, I don't judge people for, for, uh, getting work done or I don't know, really working hard to look the part. But I know that like there's more to life than that. And I, um, I want a good life. I want a well-rounded life. And to me, like it's the music, it's gotta be about the music or else I'm bored. I'm, I, I won't, I'll just go away from the music business. I don't, I don't want to live like that. I, I'd rather be with my family or write books or garden, you know, teach, 
anything but just shallow life in the public eye just for the sake of it. And so, yeah, I'm sure like there have been times even recently where I didn't look the part, like I was definitely schlepping at home a lot, not able to like be as fit as I would like. I know that, but you know, like Neil Young isn't like necessarily, (laughs) 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 right? Right. We just have other life and we just have to trust that people are going to come to the music for the music. That's what I've always been about. I worship at the altar of music. So I struggle. Yeah. I struggle at the balance of it all. I could be better. I could look fitter and, but I don't, I mean, I try. Now I just care about my health. I, I really just care about having a long life and being in good health. So I've, um, I've been on a, like a gluten-free, <laughs> vegan. I've been exercising more and like lost 15 pounds, and I feel so much better. It's great, but that's just because of health, not because I want to look good in a video. Right. You know, I, I mean, boring shit. You know. <laughs> well, I, I'm from I'm from San Francisco. I'm a vegan. I, I'm sure that isn't very surprising from out here, but I know what you mean. Um, I, I get it. And I, and I, I feel the same way. Um, I, I chatted to Alison Moyet a couple of years ago and she, um, who I just love. And she was saying at the time she was in her, in her mid fifties. And she was telling me that it's not even that she felt judged. She felt overlooked. She was saying, you know, the music I'm putting out, uh, is just being overlooked. And she was frustrated with that, just she felt because she was the age she was, she was sort of bumped to the back of the queue. Um, and she felt really frustrated by the industry in that way. Amen, sister. Yeah, yeah. I know. And she's so amazing, isn't she? Oh. Wow. I think that's wonderful that you interviewed her. And there are a lot of us like that. Yes, and I've been a vegetarian since 14, and I'm super progressive anyway. But it's like, <laughs> anyway. I, just, I love it. I love that you, I love that you paid some attention to her and absolutely that is the feeling. It's feeling of invisibility and here you are making beautiful work. It's, it's profound. And for sure I have felt that and I empathize with her feelings. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, sexualization of a person has nothing to do with their art and sometimes the two get fused together and I think it confuses the artists themselves. Oh, for sure. Yeah, then they get much more visually oriented, and it might it might be fine, but it might not be fine if they lose their focus. So I don't know. I I keep my mentors and my heroes in focus. I and I I look to them, and I really think about leaving a catalog behind that I would be proud of. That I I, I do meditate on my death. I do, and I do think about the legacy I'll leave behind for my daughter. What will the catalog be? Will I be proud of it? That's, I think about those things. Charlotte, she lingered and lived in the shadows Helping mother in the kitchen for hours and hours Avoiding the charmers, Svengali's and lords Passing forth shy girl over my
dream she ascended outside of her body She looked down below her to the white fields of cotton And she realized She realized Her dream was long alive now than ever it's similar to my late 20s right now right now it's just so easy to create it's fantastic it's just flowing like a font and that that was true in my late 20s when I lived in New York City and in Chelsea I lived on 15th Street between 8th and 9th in the early and mid 90s it was fantastic time in New York and um, just would go to my piano and generate and it feels that way now like it's there it's just there for me it's wonderful what was it like when it wasn't there did you feel a kind of um was it too was it too strenuous to access was it gone and how did that affect how you felt day to day i was depressed yeah um you can hear it in some of the music like the first thing that comes to my mind there's this song called room to room yeah and I was just in my house, and and the lyrics are just true of, of my feelings. Like I'm wandering from room to room. I'm I'm without purpose. I'm everybody else seems to have a purpose, going to work or school or 
I've done my job and helping everybody get off and then I'm alone with my feelings and uh, I'm more than this and I'm I'm wasting my life it feels sometimes or or you know it was an existential crisis in some ways motherhood you know <laughs> <laughs> oh man like the near death experience <laughs> she says that I really feel for her and sometimes you spend a lot of money on publicity and nothing comes of it right or you make you make your best album that you know is one of your best and nobody seems to hear it or get it there has to be some luck and some zeitgeist and you could get really victimized and depressed about it and I have I really have or you remind yourself that it's just going to be luck sometimes sometimes you'll hit the zeitgeist of society and sometimes you won't and you have to let it go, let it go, let it flow. You have to um, accept and let it go in order to still stay happy and creative. So I've gotten better at that. And that's one good thing about getting older is not being so crushed, right? By so defeated by something that just flops. I, as I did, oh my gosh, I was so devastated after Amen. I really stepped away. But now I can, I can handle that better. It's just a product of getting older, and there are good things about getting older. Yeah, and, and to be fair, it wasn't Amen's fault. I mean, I love Amen. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the blame could not be placed on, on the art. It was the time, right? Yeah, I, I think. I, for me, it is, that's true. Um, maybe some other fans wanted to hear me doing the same thing over and over, but that's not who I am. I need to reinvent and explore and be curious. And I was really influenced by the neo-soul music coming out then, and I I was influenced by Marvin Gaye and wanting to make a social, political, spiritual statement and have orchestra and groove and hip-hop, and, and they were, ah, I think, a little confused. I think... People in general have been confused about who I am. Right? <laughs> I could point to many moments. Just, uh, but yeah, it's the times right around the turn of the millennium, 2000, just got more uber pop uh, with boy bands and and you know Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and that kind of thing. So that's what the charts dictated. So. Yeah, and I was with a big label, and everything was changing. We weren't quite yet into the new digital realm, the independent realm, where I feel freer. It was still record companies breathing down my back and feeling like a failure. So I just, I'm really proud that I stepped away from that. I mean, I asked to leave Warner Brothers. It was just not going anywhere, and I needed to be happy. So I, I realized this thing that I've worked so hard to get in my life, like a major label deal, Ah, it's causing me so much pain right now. Forget it. It's not worth it. I want this shackle off of me. So they were all too happy to oblige, and uh, we parted ways, and that was healthful. It was like I was paying attention to my personhood and rebuilding my, my personal life. And from that foundation, I feel like some of my best work is coming out now. Yeah, and a lot of people who listen to the show are young artists who are starting out, and I think that what you're saying is, 
I mean, it sounds so crazy to think I just needed to be done with Warner Brothers because that's where you are. You know, that's the finish line you think that you've crossed. Um, but you have to keep your own integrity and your own health, both artistically and and mentally. And you recognize that. And I think the fact that you did was such a move towards self-preservation. It was It was a vital and important thing to do. And when I look back on it, it's always those moments that where I advocated for my innermost self and was in tune with my intuition, in tune with the small voice that so easily gets drowned out by naysayers, right? Right. When I advocated for that, then everything would move in a positive direction in my life, whether that, if that was, no, I'm not going to sign with a jazz label while I'm still in college, you know, I, and everyone said, you're crazy, you're getting a record deal. No, and I went back to waitressing that ended up being a really positive move. Or, gee, I think I need to get divorced, you know. That ended up being, even though, like, years of difficulty, that ended up being a very positive thing for my life. Or on and on and on, right? No, I can't make this fire again. I need to go in this direction where I'm feeling inspired. Or I need to leave Warner Brothers. Or I need to study Kundalini Yoga for a year with some Sikhs and, like, <laughs> and get attuned. <laughs> Uh, I want, you know, I want to share my path with somebody else. I wanted to have a child. I had my beautiful daughter and just took time with that. And that's been amazing. So yes, yes, yes. For, for anyone in no matter what you do, that is vital. That, that really is the path of an artist. It's self-awareness, kindness, empathy, individuation, but you're on that path of seeking. So you have to be intrapersonally intelligent and interpersonally intelligent. In fact, that kind of social-emotional intelligence is the highest indicator of success that they can find. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's, that's beautifully put. And I think about, you know, I loved the Sundays and I loved the Cocteau Twins so much. And both of those oh. outfits, they just, I mean, Elizabeth and Harriet from the Sundays, they walked away. Um which is remarkable, and I think a true artist also knows when to do that. I think that's part of that's part of the process. I love. Here's where the story ends. Don't you? Oh love that my song? god! It's just a <gasps> stunner. I've I've made some of my students learn that song. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. We were so lucky to live in that time so lucky and i mean three albums and then she went well i'm gonna go be a mother now and that's it never came back um so i mean time away maybe she'll show up again who knows It, it it almost doesn't matter um but i think that trusting that voice is something which sounds like has you know you you have done that you have never doubted the voice well i have I don't talk about that as much. I mean, I <laughs> How do you handle the doubt? Oh, you know, that's when I'm, that's when I get depressed and I'm hard to be around. Right. Cause I'm just fomenting. I'm just stewing full of self doubt. And sometimes you need to be there to figure out what is it that I need to learn here? 
What am I doing wrong? What what does that petty tyrant have to teach me right now that I'm uh, not getting, right? Yeah. Mm. So, sure, of course, that's part of the the deal. And, and also, like, deciding consciously, okay, I'm going to go back into my past and look at some of the things that hurt me. How do I feel about them now? Like, self-evaluative reflection, maybe in journaling or therapy. Um, that's something I'll probably write about in a book later, but, uh, just that's pretty important and it's turbulent, it's difficult. Sometimes that begets songs or writing and then I get angry and I get depressed, but it's, it, it makes me, um, it's like a spiral. Life is like a spiral. You kind of arrive at that, that same place every time, but you not quite. It's, you're in a slightly different relationship to the pain and the wounds and the trauma. So I think it's important to just be mindful of it all. And I do, like I said before, I look at my life as something special and I want to live it awake. I want to be mindful of the expiration date and, and live it and be productive and do good. Be, live a meaningful life that helps others. I think helping others is really the bottom line. Otherwise, what is the point? And that's where I can get depressed. It's like, what is the point? But that to me, that is what I've arrived at, is helping others. That's the point. Hopefully through your art, your gift, your writing, your music, whatever you do. And interestingly, I did it starting just to help myself. But I found out, you know, touring, talking to people after shows, hugging people, hearing their stories, holding them as they cry, that the music helps other people too. That's the amazing gift. It's cyclical and it's therapeutic. Yeah, and it feels it feels very eternal in the sense that the people who have loved you um, – you know, from the beginning are still there, which is kind of a remarkable relationship to have. It's, it's so profound. And that's the people who knew me really early. They're, they're still with me. Um, you know, the hit songs definitely brought in people and they leave just as easily and quickly, but some stay. Yeah. How, how do you, when you talk about helping people, I look at what, this administration has done to the LGBTQ community and, and no one has stepped up to help them as their rights. You know, students have lost scholarships. Um, people have lost health care. And I look at that and I, Paula, it, 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 it's such a heavy thing. And what scares me the most is that no one's talking about it. And these people have been marginalized now um, in the past couple of months and no one has stood up to help. And so I wonder when you see things like that um, and you read about that, I mean, how can one not be depressed? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's such a heavy thing that's happening. Absolutely. And I'm really glad you broached the subject. And it's, the, he, you know, he and the administration are going after the most vulnerable aspects of society. It's easiest if you're a bully to go after the most vulnerable that's what you do because inside a bully is a coward but you know that would be the endangered species act 
being attacked. That would be Title X being removed from Planned Parenthood, which will affect women, and that will therefore affect children and men and everybody, um, people of color and people of lesser means the most, the LGBT community, the we could keep going. Uh, climate and at our borders, what's happening to immigrants at the borders and brown and black skinned people. I mean, it's so obvious he's going after the vulnerables. And it's just a, a wider sense of bullying. And yes, I'm with you. The most alarming aspect is the lack of resistance. Why are we not Hong Kong? Why are not we not going to the airports and lying down? Right. What? Where is our voice? Because that's coming next. If if you can stoke fear like a blanket to muffle, and then you then you can go after the media, right? That would be the next step, so that then our voices are more muffled. But I I'm with you. I don't intend to be silent. In fact, that's. That's the theme of my my album, which is called Revolution. Right. Yeah. And the the one song that I put lyrics to is called Silent. And there are many themes to the album. You know, some are obviously political, but some are just breaking silence. Breaking silence. If you've been victimized in any way, it doesn't do you any good to be silent with that. We may have been mandated by our for mothers and forefathers to be silent, mandated by generations. I'm, I'm raised by the silent generation. And Me too. And that was a form, yes, a yeah. form of stoicism. Right. Just to be silent. Like there was something good about that, but that is not going to work now. That is not going to work. That is going to keep us down. So uh, we need to break silence. We need to be active. We need to get away from our laptops. This, this comfortable, complacent, you know, tethered. We are tethered by our technology. It keeps us home. So we don't get our asses out of seats and protest. So we don't go to the airports like Hong Kong. We, ah, we need to stand up physically away from our technology and do something we need to talk we need to talk to each other and most of all we need to be loving love love you know even in dude who shall not be mentioned (laughs) probably a person that was never loved unconditionally think about it have you seen pictures of his mother oh yeah like right yeah so if you don't know unconditional love and you tyrannically oh, lord over people in a bullying way because you're afraid. I mean, I don't know. We, we, we need to be grander, but we need to act and we must not be quiet. And I agree with you. We should talk, talk about everything. I mean, and I'm planning on that. I'm planning on benefit concerts. I'm starting... I started my first benefit concert October 12th, which will be in Woodstock, which is going to help Planned Parenthood amongst other, um, you know, health facilities in, in that area of New York. But that's just the beginning for me. I'm totally going to go out and, and talk. And, and it's yes, it's scary. Yes, it's scary. I'm scared. Yeah. 
Me too. But uh, yeah. But if if we all stay scared, then nothing's going to happen, and it's just going to engender more silence. So if if you speak out by asking me that question, if I speak out by talking about it now on this podcast, then that'll encourage other people to speak about it, and then you unify. And that was also my intention. Like with like I have a, a dance track out right now. It's just. Um, and it's specifically aimed at the LGBTQ community. It's specifically meant to go into, um, you know, the world of dance because I want people to be physical, like to jump to the left and jump to the right and clap nine times and then, and go out and vote That is a physical action. So just stand up, get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. I, I listen to Revolution and I think it reminds me in spirit of what punk rock was doing in the 80s during Reagan. Like, it, you know, those those punk bands were all very much informed. They were paying attention to what was happening politically. And I feel like Revolution has that fighting spirit. And I love it. Bless you. Thank you. Yeah. Let them eat jelly beans. Remember? Let them eat remember? jelly beans. Of course. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Ronald Reagan with his jar of jelly beans, you know. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I, I always wondered if, if punk rock ever spoke to you for its the purity of its message. Well, I was like, I just think of being in ninth grade at that time. And um, I, I didn't, I, I had kind of a strange upbringing because I lived at like the tip of an island in Cape Ann off of Massachusetts and just got very little music so I caught it I mean literally the FM signal didn't reach us very well and I was just listening to my parents albums and making music learning things from sheet music so I was really like slow I wasn't listening as much as I wish I had but I remember seeing posters like the cool older brother of like two of my friends like had cool older brothers and I was like checking out all the posters and the cool shit. Yeah. It was exciting. It was exciting that someone was willing to take a chance and like be so outspoken politically about Ronald Reagan. Right. I mean, even do you remember the, um, the 1980s video of, um, what is it? Frankie goes Oh, to yeah. Hollywood. Two tribes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. That was amazing. That was real political commentary in, uh, in music. And, and I feel so passionately about that. Oh, I, and this is what I tell, like, the, young, the younger generation that, that rubs up against me, whether it's me teaching a class to them or just talking it's no coincidence that the artists through time whether it's woody guthrie or nina simone or Niels, neil young or you know, anybody peter gabriel joni mitchell billy holiday i could keep going on and on it's no coincidence that they're not nobodies that they have lasting impact you know paul robeson oh my lord he was he had his green card taken away for just showing up in cities that's right and singing, um, Old Man River, that old man river. Because he was an actor and, uh, and a singer with a rich baritone. He was profound. I mean, you want to talk about a deep man. Wow. And uh, 
so people would gather if they found out he would come to a city and just in a square or in a theater anywhere he would sing that song and that song coming you know like it's with racist overtones and it talks about a time in our sad American history and he sings it and it's a form of protest just the act of singing that song and the police would whisk him away and they took away his citizenship and uh, he had to live in Europe just that just singing that uh, it's no coincidence that these artists dared to be social political they did not disappear they were not flashing the pans they were not just writing about oh my baby loves me or oh my boyfriend dumped me right they're writing about something lasting and deep and it continues to be true and like picasso says artists are the politicians of the future right if it's not up to us then who is it up to it must be us we are the forefront like if if it's if you don't hear people talking about it then you must talk about it. And I must talk about it so that others will talk about it. And hopefully that talk will lead to movement. And we have got to vote, got to make a difference. It is a vital time right now. And, um, and I'm, gl- I'm glad that you said that. And I'm glad that you're going to get out there and, and spread the word. I'm going to try my best. You know, I sure wish I, um, you know, I really want to sell more tickets and I'm selling, I really want like more people to follow. I'm like, I feel it. And I hope people feel it with me. I hope they're inspired, but no matter, you know, no matter, I'll just keep doing this. And I just hope people listen and I hope people kind of hop on the love train with us. Well, you have made a beautiful album. It's, it's just absolutely rousing and, um, and it ranks up with your best work. I, I just, I just love it. And I find you so inspiring and I always have. And, um, I saw you with Sarah McLaughlin, I think in like 94 in San Francisco. Um, maybe it was 93. I don't remember, but I, Mm -hmm. I, I still can't describe how powerful your performance was. I just, it was percussive and, and really really you were in the pocket and i were i'm a writer and words fail me with how profound that performance was to witness so um it's nice to be able to tell you that you know that's so beautiful thank you so much um that was 1995 and i was opening for her fumbling towards ecstasy tour right Uh, at that time very very few women were touring together you just wouldn't have same gender as an opener it was hard enough just to be a woman touring so that was grand of her to have me on, on the tour, and I would thank her every night from the stage. So that consciousness kind of grew. The audiences would acknowledge it, and DJs wouldn't even play uh, female artists back-to-back on a lot of the radio stations we were getting play on. So um, we, we just, again, we, we were not silent about that. We acknowledged it. We talked about it from the stages. It was, it was organic, and that, that made people realize, wow, they don't play two women back to back on radio stations or wow, you're right. You know, I don't think I can think of a female headliner with a female opener. And so it started to roll and, and then Lilith Fair happened and it was, it was rolling. Something was in the air. It was really good. Oh, it was, it was beautiful. And by the way, you were on the same label at the time as Henry Rollins. So there's some punk proximity. Oh man, totally. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. We would do interviews like in the same 
radical left of center boutique album. Yeah. With Henry Rollins and Amy Mann's first album. Right. And, and me and Basshead, which was this like cool neo soul hip hop uh, band out of New York City. Sure. This funk poet. I'm not like this funky off kilter kind of young beat poet Maggie Estep. Like that's yes, I remember that. She her album was called No More Mr. Nice Girl, and she was so hysterical and wonderful and you know funny and smart. So it was this really radical roster, and I was totally part of the radical. That's why it's so. I just that's why it was like painful that people didn't understand where I'm all the comfort. Ironic, you know. (laughs) Like therein lies America and their fundamentalist approach to things right i mean europe got it they they and a lot of people did get it but a lot of people didn't like rush limbaugh thought it was the greatest song ever it was one of his favorite songs it was just so weird you know that people thought i was like tie my wine net or something it was so strange <laughs> <laughs> yeah my my friend brandon was in a band called the sextants and they were on your label as well um oh they were there they made a great record oh. i think baby animals were on there from australia yeah. 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 Wow. Wait, where are you where are you living now? Where are you from? So I'm from I'm from Marin County, so I'm a Bay Area guy, but I was working college radio at the time, so I remember all that stuff. Oh um my God. I know. I, I know. It's the, my my useless cool. memory. But yeah, so I remember that that moment in time and I thought that label was so cool, but they I know they folded and, and Brennan kind of explained it to me. Um but I mean, just in terms of like the stuff they were putting out was all so different. Yes, it was. And it brave. Was all individual. Yeah, and brave. Yeah. You know, I loved yeah. it. Um, anyway, I know I have to let you go, but I, I'm, I'm so appreciative of your time and I, I'm so excited to chat with you. And um, I just think you're marvelous. I think you're marvelous. And I think you're brave too. And thank you for talking about silence and breaking silence. Let's, let's do that together. Well, how about that? The uh, the lovely Paula Cole. Wow, I enjoyed that conversation. Uh, she's so thoughtful and uh, so sweet, so smart, and uh, so talented. Go see her. Go buy her album. Go to her website, paulacole.com. Find out where she's playing. Find out what she's doing. Find out uh, how you can get involved. Okay? Do it. It's worth it. Uh, go to my website, alexgreenonline.com. Uh, not as worth it. Uh, as Paula Cole, uh, but kind of worth it. I think there's information on there you might want to know uh, where I'll be, what I'm doing, what's coming out, uh, who I'm dating. <laughs> Is that on there? Who I'm dating? I don't think so. If you click on that, uh, you get a file 404, one of those not found kind of things, you know, uh, electronic rejection. Uh, nevertheless, uh, you will not be rejected on Twitter. If you try to follow me there, at Ember's Editor, or on Instagram, Ember's Podcast, or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Now, I have no idea where you get your podcast, but guess what? It doesn't matter, because Stereo Embers of the podcast, well, we're everywhere. Spotify, Apple Music, Last FM, Stitcher, Google Play, and guess what? 
or now on iHeartRadio. Have I used that as a pickup line in a bar? Maybe I have. Did it work? Uh, File 404 not found, my friends. That's how that worked out. Listen, wherever you get your podcast, please subscribe uh, to our show. Leave a nice comment. Leave us some stars. We would appreciate it. We also appreciate that you listen to our show week in and week out. Thank you in advance for your future listens. Thank you for your past listens. And thank you for listening today. Let's close the show with another song from Paula Cole's new album, Revolution. This is Shake the Sky. Enjoy it, and I will see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Sister gonna wake up and shake the sky with the cry. She's gonna rise, she's gonna rise, she's gonna rise. Sister gonna get up and wipe the tears from her eyes. She's gonna rise, she's gonna rise, she's gonna rise. Gonna stand up to all the bullying lies. She's she gonna rise. She's gonna rise. She's gonna rise. She's still gonna look at the man with the blood in his eyes. She's gonna rise. She's gonna rise. She's gonna rise. Changes. Changes that need to pass. A lot more human kindness in this life. For the content of our character, the vision of our minds, the labor of the grist mill of society, is the hands of sweat and backs of who have least. Invisibles and overlooked to disfranchised, holding up the sky, holding up our
gonna get up and wipe the tears from her eyes. She's gonna rise. She's gonna rise. She's gonna rise. Sister gonna stand up to all the bullying lies. She's gonna rise. She's gonna rise. She's gonna rise. Sister gonna look at the man with the blood in his eyes. She's gonna rise. 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 